God, thank you for this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you that we get to celebrate it today. We remember you. We honor you. Thank you for the chaos with the kids coming in and out and extra seats. And yeah, if you guys have a bigger venue, let me know. If you're opening up your house, let me know. Otherwise, you're welcome to donate to the church to give us a whole new venue. But that's a whole nother story. Um, but just bear with us in the messiness and the chaos. And like, I've been in church for a long while, and one of the most, I don't know, powerful sayings I've heard is actually that authentic church, like, just beats any other form of church. It's, it's like, as long as we're authentic with what God is doing in our lives and we share it with each other, it's messier, it's chaos there's a lot less place to hide and sometimes there are places to hide and that's okay it's like you're welcome to hide here for a while it's you know a previous church which we we love it's they had a saying like run to the local church and when when things are not going well and that's it's, it's a good saying but actually i was chatting to somebody and it's like the church is not here to fix you so you can run to the local church but the church doesn't fix you. The church is a place where together we get pointed to God. And we'll have brothers and sisters around us. And if we open up, we can find the path to God together. And we can worship together. And we can work through our brokenness together. And sometimes we can just sit with each other in our brokenness. And we don't have to fix each other. We can actually just love each other. And Because the reality is we change slowly. And... Yeah, God's not concerned about your tomorrow. He's concerned about like your eternity. And he's so yeah. Don't worry, the pressure's off. Take your time. Like just find God and help us together we find God. Like I I look at the just the beauty of people that have practiced behind the scenes that serve us in worship. For years and years and years, they've practiced and practiced and practiced. And then we see the benefits later on. And yeah, just thank you guys. I've got a a short little video I want to play for you. Um, Yeah. Yeah, I've been told that I can be too serious. So I thought I'd start off with the Babylon Bee. um, Their take on what is generally considered like the best argument and other explanation for... Jesus and Christianity, that it's, it's like you speak to most historians, like that's what they say actually happened. Like if you, if you don't believe in Jesus as genuinely the son of God that died and rose again, that's probably just something that happened and it was a myth that was perpetuated by these guys. And the reality is it just doesn't make sense when you think about it. It's like, what, why would these 11 guys actually go to their death? Because they knew it was fake. They knew that their master, their Lord, had died. And anyway, that's not what we're going to talk about that much today. Because um, I was praying and I'm like, God, I know we're going to have some guests here. We're going to have new people. We're going to have older people, guys that have been in church like probably 30 years. They've heard 30 different Easter service Sunday like sermons. So I'm like, how do you make a unique Easter service? And I'm like, ah... I don't know if that's even possible. I don't know if that's necessary. But there's still something in me that wants to. And I'm looking at it and it's, how do, how do I engage with people around Easter? It's something that they're so familiar with. And the reality is all that I can do is actually entertain you. I can put on a service. I can put on 
a video and it, it might be entertaining, it might captivate your attention for a little while. But that's not what I really want. It's like that other little image I showed. I mean, can you put it on? It's hard to get in shape spiritually if you only work out on a Sunday. Even more so when you only work out like one Sunday a month or two Sundays a month or two Sundays a year. Or, and it's not a, it's, it's not a harsh criticism. It's, it's just the reality of life. It's, it's like everything in me wants to grab hold of like you and me and my, like our lives and just say like, how do we, how do we transform our lives? How do we transform our families? How do we deal with the brokenness and the darkness that we spoke about just the other day where there's darkness and there's brokenness in the world? We know it. Like we see it. Or sometimes we don't see it thanks to ESCOM. And there's, there's just, there's problems. And then we know that there's problems in our, our families and our marriages and hey, maybe even in our churches. It's, it's like we don't see eye to eye on things and we sometimes we disagree and we don't, we're not on the same page as to how to move forward and how do, how do we deal with that? And then like comes closer and closer to home where it's actually we realize that that darkness is inside of us and we're trying to deal with like the demonic in the world but we haven't actually even wrestled our own inner demons where like our addictions our struggles our pains our like our unforgiveness is still sitting there and it's like it's desperate like to almost be healed and we want to heal it but we don't know how sometimes and then we lose hope that we can even do that and everything in me just wants to say I, you don't understand how much freedom you can be living in. Like you, you think about the tension of, in your marriage, where it's like, actually, we, she just doesn't understand. She doesn't understand. They keep doing that. And you, you grow like harder and harder and colder and colder to each other. And it's like, actually, if you can walk in love and grace and forgiveness, marriage can be the sweetest place on earth. And, yeah, Graham, listen. <laughs> but the same for like anybody that's hurt you or your frustration in church, your, your concerns and your fear about the future. If you can rest in the fact that actually God, the creator of the universe, the one who controls everything holds the future in like the palm of his hands and he's got you. Like, what is the freedom that that could actually lead to in your life? We often talk about like Jesus came to save us, but what does it mean to be saved? I think in church a lot of the time, saved just means, hey, I want to get to heaven and not to hell. And that's true because God's concerned about our eternal salvation, but he's also concerned about our salvation here and now. And that salvation is actually living in the fullness of what God has for us. But to do that, we need to be transformed. And we need to be set free from our sin and our brokenness and the consequences of our sin and our brokenness and other people's sin and brokenness. And that's why Jesus came. He came to declare this. And that's why He died for us. We know this. So like you might have heard this many times before but I just have to declare the same truth again and again and again. 
we heard, or hopefully if you were here, you weren't here, we spoke about just the darkness of like Black Friday, which is supposed to be Good Friday, because there was actually Jesus stepping in to the darkness of the world, stepping into the darkness of your life, of your mind, of your sin, of your pain, and not just embracing it, but he stepped in to defeat death and sin and brokenness and defeat the grave. And he stepped straight through that darkness into the new creation and the life. And that's what we celebrate today where he is raised to a newness of life and a new creation that he invites us into. So he's inviting us to actually respond. And we always say, like, actually, there's, there's a time for a response. And we always say, like, hey, today is the day of the re like, response. And I want to talk about a couple of different responses that we can have today, where it's a, a personal one, there's a communal one, there's a corporate one, there's a sacrificial call, and then there's a call to purpose. And you'll see it actually all fits with the three days, the three months, the three years that we spoke about. There's, there's something about the three days where it just seems to weave a thread throughout the Bible. We looked at the symbolism of darkness on Friday. And I want to show you that there's a symbolism of just three days where the Bible is written just so intricately that there's just a subtle reminder. It's in Genesis 22. It's Abraham's call. So Abraham at 75 years old, he's being called to leave his family he doesn't have a kid and then he gets this promised child Isaac miraculous child that's going to be the one that like creates a whole nation that's going to bless the world this is incredible promise and this individual call that's going to lead to this incredible corporate blessing and then he says actually will you sacrifice that most important thing for me and he actually responds to God and he says yes because if you are the God that's powerful enough to give me this miraculous child. You can raise him from the dead. Or you can give me an inheritance in another way. And Abraham, so in Genesis 22 verse 4, it says, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And Isaac said to his father, My father, here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said to him, God will provide for himself a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went on, went both of them on together. There's just this incredible aspect of the trust in God that I'm going to trust him and I'm going to give up even what's nearest and dearest to me. What's the thing that you might be holding on to that God's saying, will you let go of that? It might be the best thing in the world, it might be your kids might be your family. Not that they're bad things, but the, the best things in life are what tend to become our idols in our lives. We were created for good works, for purpose, for an identity, to add value. But that becomes the thing that we live for. Men specifically. It's like you get hold of like what I'm going to do for my life. And I've studied this and I'm making a difference. That's why you end up working and working, and working, and working, and proving that I've got it all together, because look at what I can do. What if God's saying, actually, I want, to, I want you to give that up? Not because I haven't trained you in it for a purpose, 
but because that has replaced me as your ultimate. Ladies, often it is the desire for marriage and for kids because it is the most beautiful way of representing your femininity, of actually giving up your kids to the darkness of the world and trusting that God can actually look after them. And your tendency is, I need to protect them. And I need to protect them. And I need to protect them. That's gotten so far nowadays, you've got mothers that are going to universities that are like speaking to them on behalf of the kids. It's like, they're an adult now. You have to let them go. You've got mothers that are going to interviews for kids of like, no, my kid is great. Like, he can really do this job. It's like, no, you have to let them go. Is it scary? Absolutely. But the ultimate picture of that is actually Mary. The ultimate picture of femininity is Mary entrusting her son and giving him up to the worst of the worst of the world for the benefit of the world. That individual call that Abraham had wasn't just for himself. It was actually, I've called you so that you will become a people so that you can bless the world. So that individual call that we've got that often overflows into like this, a call for salvation. And if you want to respond to Jesus today, come and speak to somebody. Speak to the person next to you. Of like, actually, I've believed this, but I haven't been living it. So it may be your first time you're actually responding to God as your father. It may be, I don't know, a recommitment where you've not been living the way that you want to. And actually saying, I need to be serious about this. Because your individual call has weight far beyond you. It has an overflow, knock-on effect for us as a community, for the church that God is building, and then for your greater sphere of influence in Pretoria, in South Africa, and in the world. So the individual overflows into the corporate. And then you've got Israel in Exodus 19, where God's preparing them to hear the commands. He set them free from Egypt. And now he's trying to take Egypt out of them because he's saying, I've set you free, but your ways of the world have infected you and have transformed you. So I'm going to give you commands. Exodus 19, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. So he was instructing them on how to actually live as the people of God. And we've got our instructions to live as the people of God. But we take it for granted. We, we live off of somebody else going. We, we spoke about it on Friday, but... When the people see God speaking to them and they hear Him giving the the Ten Commandments, they get terrified of God and not a healthy fear of God. They actually withdraw and they say, Moses, will you go for us? You go hear from God. We don't want to actually go to Him. So when they see like just the power of God, they withdraw and Moses draws near. But Moses' heart is like, I wish that all the people would prophesy. I wish that everybody would draw near. The fear of God is not supposed to make you shy away, but it's actually supposed to make you shy away from the world and draw close to God because that's where ultimate strength is and power. 
So we're supposed to draw near to God. And we can do that through His Word, through church, through the community, from just surrounding ourselves with the ways and the purposes of God. And there's an invitation for us communally and corporately and as a church to prioritize this. And then in, in speaking to Moses and into the people of God, he goes on and displays like the, the sacrificial system. Leviticus 7 verse 17 to 18. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted. Neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. Might sound like a strange verse, but it's, it's just connecting that idea of the third day where the, the lamb will actually be provided. And the third day of us consecrating ourselves and preparing ourselves and coming to God and listening to his words and his instruction. And then the third day, there's a picture of actually the offering can't carry on past the third day. Because there's going to be something that transforms it on the third day. And we can really see the, the, the story like foreshadowing Christ where the, the sacrificial system was a yearly annual system which would remind us of the holiness of God, the perfection of God, of saying, like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I can't come near Him. I am a person. I'm a man that woe is me. Like, I can't come to God. But actually, He makes a way through the sacrifice of a lamb. Annually, through the sacrifice of a lamb. Through the sacrifice of a lamb. And then Jesus comes and he says, take my body and break it because I am the lamb. Here is my blood that is shed for you. You don't need the blood of the lamb to shelter under the doorpost to be set free from Egypt so that the Egypt and the slavery can be set free from your heart. You can trust me. And we do this weekly to remember that this is what shapes our identity. This is what shapes our language. This is what shapes our relationships. Because we've been forgiven like this, we can forgive in our marriages. Because we've been forgiven by God, we can forgive our boss. We can forgive our father. We can forgive our uncles. We can forgive our grandfather. We can forgive our mothers. We can forgive our sons and daughters. We can forgive those around us. It is one of the hardest things to do because we so often come here and we hurt by somebody that was in a place of authority. Maybe it's a church leader. Maybe it was your life group leader. Maybe it was a family member. Maybe it's somebody that they didn't even know or did anything there intentionally. But for you, it cut really deep. And the thing is, there is freedom by actually just applying forgiveness there. It doesn't condone it. It doesn't let them get away with it. It doesn't... Holding on to it doesn't like guarantee that what they did was wrong and it's like, oh, I'm just letting them off the hook. No, it lets you off the hook. And it lets you live in freedom. So that sacrifice of reminding us annually in Jesus gets like not only applied where we're starting to understand this core. It starts off with the individual, with Abraham. It's like, I'm going to reveal who I am and what I am like. God is trying to reveal himself to the world. It starts with Abraham and it leads to Israel and it leads to an entire nation 
that is called to be a priesthood to the whole world to display what God is like. And then Jesus comes to perfectly show us what the Father is like. And he says, every time you get together, do this so that you can show the world what I am like. And there's a, a prophet that's... Named Isaiah. I'm glad I don't have his call. But he's speaking to the people and he says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. There's a call to actually return to God and prepare our hearts and prepare our lives and come back and submit to Him and say where we have been hurt and where we've been broken and where we've been we've stumbling. And partly it's our own fault because we've turned away from God and we've, we've done the things we know we're not supposed to. But He says, actually come and He will heal us. And he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. And there's this picture of the third day, there will be resurrection. And he will raise us up to new life. How can you not be reminded of Jesus when you read that? And Hosea was called to marry a prostitute. And he set her up and he cleansed her. And he, he took her out of like the muck and the mire and the brokenness of her life. And he cleaned her up and he said, I love you and I love you and I love you. And she kept going back to her old way of life. And he kept pursuing her and he brought her back. And that's a picture of how God just continues to draw us back. And every time we stumble, every time we fall, he just comes back and says, I love you. Come back. Be cleaned. Be made whole. Be revived. Be healed. Be restored. Be raised to life. And my challenge to you is like we can look at the problems and the hurts and the pain and the sickness in our life. And it's quite a hard call, but it's like, what if it's not about you? Hosea was called to this, not because God wanted to him, him to have a broken marriage, but because he wanted to display the love of God for the world. And he did it through a prophet loving one lady to bring restoration and healing. And he does the same in our lives. Do bad things happen? Do challenging things happen? Yes. But it is used to glorify God. Sometimes he'll allow us to get hit by a car and miraculously survive. And that same week show up at prayer as a testimony to God's goodness and his faithfulness and his kindness. And we can look at it and say, how dare you God? How can you allow it? We try and put God in the dock and put him on trial and say... You haven't been good. You're not a good God. You're not a good father because this bad thing happened or this bad thing happened. I want to say, what if it's not about that? What if God is training you and shaping you? And it's maybe change the question of like, how dare you God to like, what are you doing God? What do you want to do with this in my life? How are you going to display your glory as I handle and I respond and I absorb what you've given me by the power of the gospel to display your glory to those around me. 
to my friends, to my family, to those that are around me. So Isaiah goes on and he says, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So this sacrificial system that he's instilled and he's started and he said, actually this is how you're going to start to know how holy I am because you need a sacrifice. And then we start relying on our actions and our works and our, our good deeds. And he says, actually I don't want you to perform for me. I want authentic hearts. This word steadfast love is actually the, the word hesed. And there's, we've heard it pronounced actually chesed. And there's one guy who used to pronounce it. And it's actually it's God's chesed love. He's chasing you down. It's like there's a constant pursuit. There's a steadfast love. There's a faithfulness and there's this pursuit. Like Hosea pursuing his wife that kept going back to lovers and selling her body. And yet I'm going to pursue you. And I'm going to grab you and I'm going to take you back doesn't matter how much you try and run from me. I'm going to pursue you and I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to bring you back and I'm going to bring you back and it's that steadfast love and this verse gets quoted by Jesus when he's calling Matthew the tax collector that dirty disgusting tax collector that has compromised and sold his soul and his life to the Romans that those that are imprisoning God's people and he's compromised with them and he says actually come follow me I'm going to make you one of the eleven I'm going to make you one of my apostles and I'm going to send you out to be a fisher of men because I can restore you and I can heal you and I can bind you up. doesn't matter what you've done. I can revive you and I can raise you up. For I desire steadfast love, chesed, and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Because I came to call sinners, not the righteous. I came to call those that are broken to save them to set them free, to bring healing, to bring transformation. And I connect this in Matthew, there's the three days that are warning, and Matthew recounts how Jesus actually warns the disciples three times about the same thing. So Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day, be raised. Matthew 17, 22. And they were gathering in Galilee. Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. Matthew 20, verse 17 to 19. And Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. And then finally, it actually recounts how it happened in Matthew 27, verse 65. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And then we all get murdered. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting 
a God. It's like they were already confused right in the beginning. Luke recounts how two disciples were walking along and they're talking and then Jesus just appears next to them. And we heard it just two weeks ago. Somebody was telling the story. It's like Jesus' own like April Fool's joke on them. He just like randomly pops up to them and like, hey, what's happening? Like he doesn't like show like, hey, I'm Jesus. But he just walks alongside them and they're like, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And they still didn't believe. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they talk and they say, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us? They didn't recognize him, but did not our hearts burn within us because this truth resonated with them. Because we, we understand the, the symbolism of the darkness that is trending through life and through the world. And we're all trying to find our answers for it. And the answer is only found in Christ. And as we let that penetrate into our life, it changes us individually. It changes us corporately. It changes us eternally. It changes us by giving us a purpose in life. By a purpose to actually reach those around us. To reach the world around us. Because he doesn't require our sacrifice. He doesn't require us like doing and performing all the right things. But if we go back to that image of like what is God going to do? It's like it's hard to get in shape when you're training once a week. It's not a, a guilt trip, but it's I just want you to know the Father. But Hosea 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Even in the prophets it was saying, actually I just want you to know God. I wish you would know God. Not be like the Israelites pulling away, but being like Moses and drawing near, even into the darkness. Letting God speak to you in the darkness about the, maybe even the darkness of your personality. The darkness of what you need to address. Not what they need to address. Not what my spouse needs to address. Not what they did. But starting with what God is asking you to address. Letting that shape your marriage. And shape your friendships. And shape your relationships. And shape your interaction with church. And shape your interaction with your friends. And your family. And your colleagues. And those that are far from you. And just 
that starts overflowing into the world. And that's showing us the steadfast love, the chesed love, His love that endures forever. can actually hand out the communion. our way of doing this weekly to remind us of the nature of God to celebrate the nature of God and there's a individual response there's a corporate response and I'm going to read out Psalm 136 and how the psalm works is it's almost a call and response psalm where It's designed for corporate worship. It's designed for me to read a phrase and then you respond. It says, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. And you respond, His love endures forever. That His love is His chesed, His steadfast love. It's the love of the Father. It's the love of God. It's declaring His goodness, His nature, His kindness over our our past over our present, over our future. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Okay, I'm going to start again. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. Who by his understanding made the heavens. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. Who made the great lights. The sun to govern the day. The moon and stars to govern the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. And brought Israel through the midst of it. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the desert. Who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. And gave their land as an inheritance. An inheritance to his servant Israel. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state. And freed us from our enemies. And who gives food to every creature. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Who loves us still to today. Who died upon the cross for us and on the third day was raised for us who has a future for us in this time and place who is transforming our lives and our marriages 
who is giving us a hope and a future. Father God, thank you that you are a God who's constantly pursuing us. You are the far greater Abraham that is calling us and called us and prepared a future and made us a people. You are the far greater Israel that wrestled with God to give us a hope and a future and to call us into a, be a people of God. You are the far greater Hosea who constantly pursued his bride. You have a perfect bride and a spotless bride that is called the church. You want to unite us and purify us and transform us. Thank you that you have invited each and every one of us to be a part of that. Thank you that you are trying to show us your, your nature. That you're concerned more about us knowing you. Knowing your nature, your steadfast love, your unchanging character, God. You reveal yourself to us as a loving Father, perfectly displayed in Jesus. Thank you that your love endures forever. Your love endures forever. Lord, I pray for each and every person that they would understand how they can respond individually, corporately, sacrificially, and purposefully, Lord. And show them how to take the next steps with you. To place times in their life, in place, so that they can draw close to you. It may require them being vulnerable and open and committing more to a community, whether it's this church or another church, I don't care, but they would draw close to the people of God and open up their lives and be vulnerable, even confess their sin, to be set free, to understand the freedom that comes from forgiveness. Or to live an open and honest and transformed life. That they would find a way to sacrificially contribute. Whether it's coming early, whether it's being generous, whether it's just loving those around them. Inviting them into their life. Inviting them for dinner. Inviting them for coffee. Going out of their way to reach out and just to bless and to encourage and to support and to love and to love and to love. Not to fix people but to just love, Lord. I pray that you would give us a purpose and an identity to understand who you have made us to be. We would understand the part that you are calling each and every one of us to play as a husband, as a mother, as a father, as a wife, as kids, as sons and daughters, as men and women of God, taking our rightful place alongside you, partnering with you to transform the world, to extend the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you for stepping into that darkness, but stepping through that darkness into resurrection and new life. And you're calling us, and you're raising us, you're rising, re reviving us, you're healing us, and you're raising us. Lord, this may be the celebration of the third day for you, but maybe it's the first day for us. Maybe this requires a commitment today and tomorrow. And on Tuesday, you'll raise us up. Maybe there's a, there's a call to a greater commitment in your life. Where we're going to prioritize time with you. We're going to prioritize you in our life, Lord. We're going to remove the idols that we've placed in our life. And we're going to set you up. 
I pray for transformation of hearts and minds and lives. I pray for courage in people's hearts. That they would open up, that they would admit where they're falling short, where they would admit that they don't have it all together. They would stop trying to pretend and come to church in their nice Sunday best and actually just be honest and say, you know what? I'm struggling. I'm struggling at work. I'm struggling with family. I'm struggling with friends. I'm struggling in my marriage. It's okay. We don't require perfection. We want honesty, authenticity. Pray that you'd step into that and bring new life, Lord. You'd raise us up to new life. In Jesus' name. Amen.